We have done uh, a very large swath of Daniel, in fact, chapters 1 to 6, and we've seen some incredible uh, things, and we've learned some amazing um, things from his life. And so today, we're in essence having a summary week where we look over Daniel, we look through the rest of Daniel, and we look into Advent as we step into this incredible season that we wait for every year as we head towards Christmas. So why don't you just uh, take a moment to pray with me before we jump right in. God, we, we do come to a holy moment and we, we come to look at your word. We come to remember what you have taught and what you've stirred up in us. And we come with reverence knowing that we come under your authority as we do this. We want you to speak. We don't just want opinions. We don't just want clever stories. We want your spirit to speak to our hearts. And so we invite you again to come today to be with us, to speak to us, to change us. You are an incredible God and you are so interested in each of our lives, in the detail of our lives, that we ask and invite you to come and lead us and and speak to us. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. We, um, we have gone through some pretty spectacular pictures in Daniel. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of a friend of mine um, who I don't see very often, but he has a remarkable ability to get himself in trouble. And uh, he, he's a surfer, loves surfing, and, and um, he has an inability to think situations through to their logical conclusion, um, which, which means his innocence, his genuine innocence, often uh, gets him into trouble. One of the examples I can give you is um, he was flying. Now, this guy flies on a South African passport. If you know what that's like, wherever you go, you enter any country with suspicion. That's just how it has been in the past. And uh, he's flying. He went to Bali to surf. And from Bali, he flies into Australia. And as he gets to the border control in Australia, which is, as you can imagine, a high-traffic drug route, many people, if you've read the stories, have, have gotten into some serious, serious trouble on that. As he gets into Australia, if you've traveled there, uh, at, at least the times we have, uh, they have dogs at the airport that sniff your luggage and your hand luggage just to kind of identify uh, suspects. Uh, And uh, he gets sniffed out for some reason, and that's not unusual. That's just your luggage has been with a whole bunch of other luggage. And um, he gets sniffed out, and him and his wife and the the agent at customs starts interrogating them, pulls them aside, um, and basically says, are you carrying drugs? A few things you need to know about him. He's, He's... very enthusiastic, and he is primarily gifted in evangelism. At a border control post, that is not a great combination to have. Because in wanting to answer this officer, he tries to say, no, I'm not carrying drugs, but I used to deal drugs. And started trying to explain his story of transformation to which his wife was like he doesn't know what he's getting himself into 
after her kind of sensing this and stopping him and him realizing what's happening and the suspicion that he's getting from the agent, he stops and realizes, I've gone too far. And then in an attempt to, to prove his innocence, he goes, no, 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 uh, I didn't mean that. Uh, you, you can check every orifice of mine. <laughs> it did not end well. He tells story after story of getting himself into trouble. He was banned after preaching at an all-girls private school for trying to break the ice, and the first joke that came to his head was extremely inappropriate. And over and over, he has these, you sit with him for 30 minutes, and you hear all these stories, and you are laughing, and you start to think, man, this guy's life is pretty phenomenal. He's also got some incredible achievements in life, amazing achievements. He's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible guy. The problem is I meet with him and I hear these stories and I think, man, my life is kind of boring compared to this. And you don't necessarily hear about the fact that he wakes up every single day, an hour before he needs to, and he does a verse at a time or as much as he can fit into an hour where he is busy writing his own commentary on the Bible. Every single morning, he wakes up an hour before he has to, and he's just typing it out, and he's been doing it for years. And you don't see the fact that he also like, has some real wrestles in himself with, with uh, discipline that he works through, and daily it's a wrestle for him. And you don't see the daily humdrum of his life. And so often, we look at people, we look at situations, and we see these highlights, we see the highlight reel or the Instagram feed and we just go, man, I wish my life was a bit more like that. And as I was doing this kind of getting ready to finish Daniel, I realized we have a real temptation to look at the book of Daniel and what we've gone through in the exact same way. You've got lion's dens and furnaces and all these amazing events happening where God supernaturally jumps into our earthly existence and shows himself in a way that is undeniable. And we forget the true context within which these particular events happened to the point where we don't realize that at the end of the book of Daniel, he's about probably close to 85 years old, somewhere, somewhere around 80, and he's still there, and he's delivering these prophecies. But it's very, very easy for us to look at the lions then and go, man, I want more of that in my life. Not the actual lions, but just the supernatural working of God. And so it's really important for us to try to make sense, as Caleb said last week, of the world that Daniel was in, and then to try to make sense of our world. This book seems a little ridiculous. They had, they had as, a, as a form of crowd control and dis- disciplinary action, lions. And you try to equate that to our world, and I kind of feel like in our world, we would be a little more concerned about the living conditions of the lions than necessarily the disciplinary action of the people and what's happening around, because... It's an important thing. 
And our worlds are so far apart that over the last six weeks, we've tried to make sense of each individual situation that we read where people get thrown into a fiery furnace in the case of misconduct. And so we come to our world and we try to make sense of it. We look at the immense tragedies of the immigration crisis that's happening around the world right now. The very real problem and need and the very real threat. And we try to make sense of it. And our politicians are are doing campaigns based on these things. I have to at the same time admit that sometimes when I look at Daniel, the, the need for perspective is just glaring at me. And what I mean by that is I, 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 I was in a cab a few weeks ago, and uh, the driver, I was just struck up a conversation with him, and uh, he, he was from a country in West Africa, and I said to him, Sir, have you found the racial tension or hostility towards you in the city? And he went on explaining it, and he was just joyful. He, just, he was like, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but, you know, it's okay, man. I, I, don't, really, I don't really mind it that much. And I was like, that's strange. That's not, that's not the, the answer I normally get. So I, I prodded a little bit, and I said, you know, uh, he said he was stopped and frisked twice out of his cab and all that in Harlem. And um, I said to him, that's funny. I lived in Harlem for a year, and I wasn't stopped and frisked once. And he said, yeah, but you know why that is, right? (laughs) So I said, yeah, I know why that is. I'm white and I don't look the part. And he said, yeah. But you know what? This is him. He said, what I'm experiencing in America compared to what's waiting for me home in my country in Africa, this is amazing. This is a great place. And I was, I was convicted by that a little bit because we become critics so quickly when we don't have perspective or something to relate it to. Now, I'm not minimizing the very problems we have here. I'm saying in any given situation, when we look at one day or one moment or one event, we lose perspective. And what I want to do today is look at Daniel very briefly at the largeness of the perspective of what happened from the beginning to the end and then make sense of why are we going into Advent from this launch pad. Trying to make sense of our world. We live in a world where the now is the most important thing. Whatever is happening now, however I'm being treated now, whatever is, is being brought my way in life right now, we have a thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. And we have real anxiety because of that. <clears throat> I guarantee that we will be looking at the feed of other people's Instagrams and before Thanksgiving is over, already say, man, mine wasn't as good as theirs. In fact, I I kind of found like, sometimes I feel like I, I don't need to see one more picture of someone's feet in the sand by the sea And you know what's great? Everybody responds with emojis, with the finger pointing up and the smiley face to the comment above. They've added the middle finger as an emoji recently. 
I have not used it yet. But sometimes I feel the temptation. In fact, uh, the, the Oxford Dictionary, the first time ever, did not, uh, the first time ever used a non word as the word of the year. First time ever, they said the word of the year is not a word, but a picture, and that's an emoji. I don't know what to do with that. So we're asked this question as we look at Daniel. How can we believe that we are part of the big picture when we are struggling with the significance of the immediate? How can we feel like we're part of a bigger story, something much bigger than ourselves, when the immediate weighs so heavily? Now, the idea that we started with and are ending with is the idea of a creative minority, and that a creative minority lives in such a way as to point to a better way of living, a more true, a surer way of living. This is a quote we had the very first week we started the series by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and Jeremiah speaks of the exile to Babylon, and he says this about what Jeremiah is saying. He says, what Jeremiah is saying is that it is possible to survive in exile with your identity intact, your appetite for life undiminished while contributing to the wider society and praying to God on its behalf. Jeremiah was introducing into history a highly consequential idea, the idea of a creative minority, a minority that lives in such a way as to show how things ought to be. These people are people who seek after God. Daniel was an incredible example of this, and we see all through Scripture that People who significantly impact this grand narrative were people who sought relentlessly after God. We seek after this too. We seek the better life, the hope, something beyond the now. Here's the good news, that God is perpetually making himself known to us. A.W. Tozer, who I'll quote once or twice this morning, said this, Our pursuit of God is successful just because he is forever seeking to manifest himself to us. Our pursuit of God is successful because He is forever seeking to manifest Himself, to show Himself to us. And some of us, me included, go through weeks not really recognizing Him in any particular time and space in our lives. Part of the reason is because our world just drowns out the little whispers that God tries to give us, our fears scream way louder than the little nudgings that the Spirit of God is doing to draw us close to Him. The idols, the things we value so highly are so important in our drives that we forget that we have an inborn drive to seek something greater than that which we can see. The wounds that we've experienced in life are still festering and painful, and so whenever we come anywhere close to God, we feel the wound again, and we... we, we, just divert our attention from the whispers of God, trying to draw us close, which is where the healings lie. There is evidence that Daniel lives a life of pursuit in such a way that at the age of around about 80, he was still on fire with a longing for God and the longing for the Messiah to come and rescue. Daniel, scholars say, was taken from his homeland at 15 
And when I look at the story, there are some reasons that I find that are compelling reasons to doubt why this is important to me. And one of the reasons is uh, the fact that these stories are hard to believe because they're so far removed from us. What has a lion's den and a furnace got to do with my life? Understanding their culture. The second is that I'm just not Daniel. And sometimes the picture of these heroes of old just makes me feel like less able to pursue God in that same way. But I also find great reasons for faith. And the reasons for faith and for response go somewhere along these lines that Daniel didn't have the lion's den experience that caused faith in him. Daniel's first experiences that brought him to the place where he was, where these things happened, was one where he was ripped from his family and his homeland. He was taken violently, forcefully from that. His friends and family were left to die and sometimes slaughtered. And he was isolated with just a minority, a few people, to go to the, to the other land. In fact, there are some really, really deep parallels to the refugee crisis that we see around the world in this. Parallels of brokenness and hopelessness and what is happening to my world. Everything is falling apart. That's where he started. The journey that we understand, at least, with his friends. He started being scarred by tragedy. Now, Daniel may have had some incredible experiences, but the bulk of his life just was comprised of a relentless, ordinary pursuit of God. A daily prayer life. A daily seeking a receptivity to to the things of God. Sometimes I feel like we wait for the miraculous, sensational, big experience before we start believing. And it seemed to me by this pattern that he stepped into faith and relentlessly obeyed and those things followed as he was met with the defining circumstances. This is another quote by Tozer. The idea of cultivation and exercise so dear to the saints of old has now no place in our total religious picture. It is too slow, too common We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. A generation of Christians reared among push-buttons and automatic machines is impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching their goals. We have been trying to apply machine-age methods to our relations with God. We read our chapter, we have our short devotion, and we rush away, hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy, but attending another gospel me- by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story by a religious adventurer. The story of Daniel that I want to tell today is the story of the entire book. It is a, it's the story where he starts when he was 15 out of deep tragedy and he ends at the end of his life after hearing prophecy and seeing things that God reveals to him, just relentlessly obeying God for 80 years. Now, because of our current situation, we often mistake great oratory ability or clever church mechanisms or methodology or great showmanship or even social proficiency 
for spiritual maturity. Now, Daniel, as a part of the creative minority, lived in a way that pointed to an ultimate grand narrative. Daniel's story is not about the lion's den. Daniel's story is about his life that embodied a message. And the message, as you read through the rest of Daniel, which we didn't have time to today because we ran out of fluent, eloquent British voices to use, (laughs) was the fact that he saw these pictures of what would happen. And they are fascinating to study. I would encourage you to go look at them. They are prophecies, and they happen so accurately that it is just remarkable. And all of it points to Christ. All of them points to the fact that tragedy and devastation and war is going to happen, and that through it all, the sovereignty of God would be a pillar of strength for the people of God. Really, really beautiful stuff that we are not going to get into. But this is the narrative. In fact, the whole book of Daniel is a great picture. It's it's called a prophetic book. It's in the prophetic genre of the Old Testament, if you look at the literary genre. But half of it is narrative. And that's the half that we all went through over the last few weeks. And then the other half is prophetic. And I find it just to be the most... Beautiful example of how we should live our lives. A life example with a message to tell. This is what we are called to as a creative minority in this context. Faithfulness in spite of tragedy. Obedience within radical persecution, a life of integrity that speaks the greatest message of all time. And so Daniel goes through all of this, ends up late in his life prophesying with remarkable accuracy about the Messiah. And we ask ourselves the question, how can we believe we are part of the big picture when we are struggling with the significance of the moment? Daniel, right from the beginning, had within his heart the stories of old that were told, the grand narrative of the, the rescue that God was bringing to a broken world. And that pushed him through the lines then. It kept him through the, the persecution he faced all the way to the end of the prophecies. Now, the interesting thing about Daniel was that he was by Darius given the, 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 the title of chief magi. And if you remember in, in, in the, the Advent story, the wise men, the magi, came to bring gifts to the baby. And it was the magi's role to to anoint or identify the new king. Darius gives him the title of magi illegitimately because it's supposed to only be handed down by birthright. Daniel becomes a magi in function, and he, in essence, communicates to the sect of wise men to look out for a star, to look out for one that is to come, and then enter the advent narrative of the Magi coming to the baby born. That's why Herod was so upset, because he knew what it meant when the Magi went not to him, but to someone else. That's a great segue into Advent from Daniel. Segways are illegal in the city. (laughs) They just said that. Those little hoverboards that's happening, this week declared illegal. Sorry if you bought one already. Anyway, that's off the point. 
Daniel prophetically ushered in the kingdom of God by the way he lived and the message he spoke. And so the questions I have that lingers in my heart is, can the mom who's trying to make sense of life's hardest struggles in the midst of babies and sleepless nights, can she find meaning in the grand narrative that, that, that circles her life, the part that she's playing in this life? Can the woman who's part of the startup, who is changing the world with incredible genius ideas and products for the good of society, can she or he find hope within the grand narrative of Jesus' coming and his return one day as he renews all things. So our response is going to be a response that we need to give from Daniel 12. The very last few verses, Daniel sees this elaborate picture of how life is supposed to be. And then this is how it ends. Daniel 12. He says, how do I make sense of all of this? He literally asks, how do I make sense of this? And the response from the angel is this. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. I found great comfort in that response because there are times where I'm going, God, this is so complicated. How are we, we going to do this? I, how do I make sense of my world? I'm trying to, and I know I need to. And the assurance comes from the angel and says, you know what your responsibility is? It's to live your life. To live your life with this end in mind. With the end in mind that the story is not about you. The story is much larger than you. And the way you live your now is really, really, really important for the witness of the message that there is a king who comes to renew the brokenness, the the discrepancies, the hurt of our life, of our earth. And it's the simplest of command. And so when I ask God, God, how do I respond after this series in Daniel? I heard his voice through this text. You live your life as if it is part of this large, grand narrative picture that you have been called to. There is an inheritance that we take as we do that. But each of us have been drawn in. And some of us feel like God does not speak, but he does. This is a quote from Tozer. I venture to suggest that one vital quality by which they, and he uses Daniel and others, the spiritual heroes, had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven, something which urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They differed from the average person in that they felt In that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. They were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. As David put it neatly, when thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. The greatest tragedy that I see 
in the lives of people as a pastor is I can actually at times, by the grace of God, recognize the Spirit of God at work within someone's life. But they don't recognize that God is in that moment. And the doubt and the fears and the noise of our world and our ambitions and our idols and our wounds and our lies creep into the moments where God is actually trying to get our attention and robs us of the kairos moment, the moment of drawing us to himself and we seem to dismiss it and move on. I want to argue, and this is just my opinion, that you are here this morning because you had such a moment. You may not even know it or recognize it, but something led you to come and sit in this pew at this time. It may be a culmination of events, but in essence, something brought you here, and in our rationalistic minds, we just write it off as fate, as, oh, it just happens, oh, uh, this just, no. I want to contend that the Spirit of God is drawing us perpetually and there are responses that we make to those moments daily as we either lean in to say, God, I do want to listen and I do want to hear, or we are distracted by the next thing and we just move on with our lives and our agenda. And My call from Daniel, from the entire book of Daniel, is that he responded to every moment that was brought him, the large ones, the small ones, the daily ones where he knew, I'm just going to go pray my three times a day because that's what I do. And in the end, his years added up to 85 years of incredible significance, so significant that it went beyond him and his Prophecy ushered the Magi to go and anoint Jesus prophetically as the king. Why? Because he got up and he prayed every day and he sought God and he responded to the call of God in the midst of the greatest tragedy that I can imagine, the separation of me from my family and my home. Our response is this, to recognize the moments that God is calling us to. To recognize that things are not as they ought to be. That's why we exist. This deep longing in our souls for more. God, there's more. This is not the only thing that I know the now. There's more. You're calling us to more. A brief thing that I'd love you to go and look at, but throughout the prophecy chapters of Daniel... The angel of God always steps to Daniel as, as he starts to speak by using a phrase that sounds like this. Daniel, you are loved by God. Every time it is remarkable. We need to recognize the deep love that God has for us as our people, just as we are. Just us. God does this. He calls us into the grand narrative because he loves us and he draws us in by his love. Recognize that things are not as they ought to be. I wrote in my journal this week, last week, I am not my own. It's a, it's a line from a book I read. I am not my own. I am intrinsically named as beloved by the gaze of the other. We are defined by the love that we receive. And it is important to recognize that God is trying to communicate his love to us perpetually. We respond to the Spirit le- Spirit's leading. Secondly, to, to the leading that got you to where you are right now. In a few moments, we're going to pray, and it's going to be part of our response. But the defining thing that A.W. Tozer says between those who have made this, this 
remarkable impact is that when they received and when they recognized God doing something, they did something about it. And it would be a tragedy if we leave this Daniel series of God speaking and drawing us without doing something about it as God leads you. Thirdly, we cultivate slowly by obedience. Daniel's life was in, in the story of Daniel, start to finish, was about 70 years. He came when he was 15. That's the time of exile that they experienced in Babylon. This is not a popular message. It's not glamorous. It's not fancy. It doesn't make you go, ooh, that's great. It's so awesome. This is the message. Pursue God. Pursue God. Pursue hard after God for 70 years. Not just today. Every day, for 70 years, and see the impact that our lives lead, leave as God calls us into his story, cultivate by slow obedience. And so my call over this season of Advent is a little strange, but my call is this. Instead of excess and indulgence this, ad, this Advent season, how about we embrace an environment of longing, longing for more, where we are reminded daily by our lack how much we need him. During the Advent season, we just go into full indulgent mode. That's just our default setting. My call is to step back and say, no, actually, I'm going to say no to some of these things so that I can listen to the voice of God, so that I can drown out the noise of my needs. We are the custodians, lastly, of meaning. Our lives tell the story. And so... My simple call in this season is that we respond to the dramatic, beautiful voice of God that's been speaking to us over the last six weeks, seven weeks, and that our lives become the container that holds the message that we're going to speak to our world, just like Daniel's did. His life of radical obedience in tragedy, in persecution, in trial, in suffering, became the container that held the message that ushered in Jesus. And it's a pattern for us in which we're going to live. So what I'm going to do, and this is going to be slightly strange, um, and I'm going to ask you to give me grace for this, and I'm going to ask you to give each other grace for this, is I'm going to ask that while the musicians come up here, they're going to start playing. Um, I'm going to ask that we pray in response with one another. Now, I I know that some of you here may be a guest, and so I'm going to give you or the extreme introverts that struggle with this just an easy out, which is if you are going to just kind of bow your head and close your eyes, the person next to you is going to leave you alone. Just, they're going to think you're praying. You may be thinking of something else. That's okay. No one's going to know. But I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and just pray a simple prayer. And the prayer can be anything on your heart. Here's a suggestion. God, I know in my head that you're getting, trying to get my attention, but I want to respond to your leadings. I want you to speak to me in tangible ways so that I can respond. My life is yours. And Toza says it so well. He says, a great prayer to pray is, God, give me the desire to desire you. There's an honesty in that prayer. He says, God, I don't even feel what this guy's talking about. But I can still come to you in honesty and say, give me the desire to desire you. 
But I think it is important in light of this that we respond, that we make a physical, tangible response. And then the last thing I'm going to do is when we pray, I'm going to ask us to stand while we pray for a few different reasons, but people are going to be moving around, etc., etc. I'm going to be in the front here, and if there are people here who feel like God has been nudging them towards Him, you have not identified with Him as a, a, a Christian, you don't even know why you're here at church. It's kind of a strange thing. You need someone to pray for. Some of our leaders right now will be in the front here, and they will be ready just to pray with you specifically if that's you. If, it's, if there's anything that's burdensome on your heart, you can come forward right now, not pray with your neighbor, but come and pray with one of the leaders, and they'll just ask you what they can pray for, and it can happen. But I would strongly urge that you do not let this very moment pass again with distraction and thinking of something else or not responding to what God is doing in your hearts. So won't you stand with me? Simply... The musicians are going to play. You're going to turn to some friends. I'm going to be in the front. Some of our leaders are going to come, come, come with me to the front and stand here, and we'll be ready to pray. But just pray an honest prayer with a friend or a person or a stranger next to you where you invite God in.